Thanks for listening to the Revival Today podcast with evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth. To stay connected, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or online at revivaltoday.com. Now, here's evangelist Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan Shuttlesworth, as you probably know by now, and we'll do uh, our continuation on our theme for the month, Godliness is Profitable unto All Things. We uh, did part one yesterday, and if you haven't seen it, you, of course, it's listed as part two, but part one, we just got <clears throat> sidetracked on something that happened over the weekend. So if you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to go on YouTube, and we have everything archived there. Just look up Jonathan Shuttlesworth. Of course, some of you are watching on YouTube live right now. And uh, all of our sermons, all of our everything, if you want to stay growing in the Word, that's the thing to do. And remember, we also have our Revival Today radio, which is uh, on our app. Revival Today. So if you've not downloaded our app, you can do that today. And um, that way, if you don't feel like keeping track of podcasts and just want to keep on, uh, just pop it on. And uh, there's preaching all of the time. Myself, my wife, some music, but mostly the Word of God to keep you strong. If you have your Bible, open it with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter and the eighth verse. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. So say that wherever you're watching from. Unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So notice the second part of that. Godliness is profitable. So say that. Godliness is profitable. You're not going to continue to do anything, uh, something that you think detracts from your life. So if you see godliness as stripping away from your life and and taking from you, then you're not going to continue to pursue it. Yeah. You, you, You have to continue to do the things that God said for you to do in his word with the knowledge, like it says in the Bible with Jesus, that Jesus, knowing the joy that was set before him, endured the shame and reproach of the cross. So I feel like if the devil can get you thinking that what you're doing for God has no payoff, that you're just being miserable and maybe one day it'll be worth it when you get to heaven, then you're going to quit. But when you can see that God designed godly living to bring profit to your life, then nobody has to motivate you to live for God because you see that it's not only bringing profit in heaven, You know, the Bible says godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is. Say that, promise of the life that now is. The life you're living in now on this earth. Godliness affects it. Godliness causes it to multiply and grow. Sin detracts from it. And usually that's the only thing that uh, you hear about it in church is that, well, if you sin, how many of you know sin? Sin's going to cause you pain and problem. That's true. But on the flip side, you have to see that godliness brings profit into life, brings profit into every situation. The Bible says that when you sin, when you go against God, your life is like a basket with holes in it. You gain things, you make money. But then it it leaks out of the holes that sin causes. But when you live for God, godliness not only plugs the holes and makes it where there's no 
um, door that the devil can enter into to mess with you. Godliness causes everything that you do to multiply. Notice, not that godliness brings happiness in the life that is to come. Godliness is profitable unto all things, holding promise in the life that now is and the life to come. Thank God for heaven. But thank God when you read these stories of the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, on down the line. The harder somebody pursues God, the, the more effortlessly the blessings of God pursue that man in every area of life. Godliness, so that's the theme for March. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Godliness is profitable unto all things. You can't believe, I mean, take Chick-fil-A. I don't know what they thought in the beginning. Maybe I don't know. I don't know how true it Kathy was raised and what his theology was. But when he made the decision to honor God, who knows? Maybe he thought, well, I'll do. I'll do with less income to stay doing what the Bible said. But you, you notice now, drive by any Chick Fil A today, they have three lines on their drive-through, and you look at the other restaurants, you feel bad for them. There's one car, two cars. They're about to become the most profitable fast food franchise in the country. From honoring those principles, you never give up anything for God where you'll stand before him and say, Lord, I gave this up for you. No, it comes back multiplied. So actually, when you understand that, you actually start to see all of these commands that God gives as gateways to blessing instead of commands that uh, to strip the fun out of life. God is not in need. I'm not helping God by living for him. God's not in heaven going, I don't know how I, would, how I would have ever gotten that church built in India if Jonathan didn't send them some money. I don't know how I ever could have got those people saved if Jonathan wouldn't have done so. No. If I refuse, God would find somebody else. God would never leave himself without a, a witness. God will find somebody who will partner with it. If it's not you, then it'll be someone else, and you're the one that loses out. So these things put a joy in you to serve the Lord, where you become like the Old Testament writer. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You see that the harder I pursue God, the more seriously I take my covenant walk with God, the greater all these things multiply back into my life. Godliness is profitable unto all things, holding promise. uh, Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. 1 Timothy 4, 8. So again, and I, 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 I'm belaboring the point. I was going to say I don't want to belabor it, but I already have. You're going to hear that in church all the time. Well, I may have given up this now. I heard people growing up in church all the time. They, they, they became a church planner. And I was a Fortune 500 executive. And I gave that up, you know, to plan a church because I knew this city. And I walked away from a great salary. And we don't have those things now. They're messed up. You, there may be a cost up front in serving God, but the dividends that it pays, you'll never remember the, 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 the cost. Do you think somebody that bought Apple stock for $92 or $92 worth of Apple stock in the 80s and held on to it and now it's worth millions of dollars? Do you think that person's complaining about the $92 they had to spend? And I walked away from $92 and yes, now it is worth over uh, $4 billion, but, you know, I, I, I know I'll never have that $92 back. That would be 
one stupid way of looking at the investment that you made. And so anything God is asking you to walk away from, when he asked Abraham to leave his father's country, his father's home, his native country, and go to the land that he would show him, he was not asking him to leave his family to be lonely. He was taking him from being a nobody that was held down by things in that land. His father was an idol worshiper into a new land where God's blessing would flow in such a remarkable manner that there's a guy in Pittsburgh still talking about it today, several thousand years later. You know, that's what God wants to do with your life. God is looking for people to pour out a blessing on that there is no reference point for it. Where the brightest any human being has ever shown will be in our generation. And the, the price tag is godly living. Jesus will either be everything or he'll be nothing at all. And so you make God your all in all. The Bible summed up in two lines. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. All your, all your physical strength, all your mental capacity, and all your spiritual love is devoted to God and love your neighbor as yourself. This sums up everything that's written in the law and the prophets. That's what Jesus said. So it's not, well, I'm a Christian, so I can't do, no. You see that as I, as I, um, push myself into, into the mold, press myself into the mold of godliness in the Bible and aspire to live like the people that gain God's approval in the Bible by his spirit. Then I also am going to share in the blessing that they received because they served God with all their heart. 1 Timothy 4.8, godliness is profitable unto all things. If you would, write that in the comments and write that in your Bible or wherever you're taking notes, and don't ever forget it. Godliness is profitable unto all things. Now, 2 Timothy, one chapter over. Paul continues writing to his son in the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. So this is the foundation of godly living and the foundation of every man that names the name of Jesus Christ. This is in the New Testament. The Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Verse 20. But in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor, and some to dishonor. If a man, therefore, purge himself from these, he will be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Flee youthful lusts, but follow faithful righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and them that call on the Lord with a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2 in the New Living Translation. Verse 19. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In, an, in a wealthy, let me see it as an asterisk. See Isaiah 52, 11. Well, let's see it. 
purify yourselves, you who carry home the sacred objects of the Lord. So purification, living a pure and holy life is foundational to godly living both in Old Testament and New Testament. Verse 20, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Notice that God has levels of who he uses. Plastic utensils, or it says here, earthen utensils, utensils made of clay, the lowest. Then what was next? Wood. So you had clay, wood, silver, gold. And the Bible says the drawer that God keeps you in. There's vessels set apart for common use. There's vessel, then it goes higher, a little higher to uh, uh, wood, then to silver, then to gold. And the Bible says that God determines your level of usability based on you keeping yourself pure. And he he does it for your good. And he does it for his good, for the good of the kingdom, so that you don't make a mockery of the Bible. So, so your life doesn't become something that mockers can point at and say, oh, that, that guy, yeah, I, these Christians. Like, like uh, you know, it'd be like if I had some huge moral failing. Every comedian, once I got even more well-known, would have a reason to say, these Christians, they act like they're against abortion and all that. Then it comes out that they're doing this, this, and this. They're a bunch of hypocrites. That's why I don't go to church. Those people don't live any better than I do. So for the sake of you not bringing shame to the kingdom of God, God will keep someone that lives in, that, 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 that does not live a pure holy life. Now, obviously, if you live in sin, you, you have not, you've not come in to the body of Christ. The Bible says that in 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Let me tell you, as I tell you before, anyone who continues in sin is of his father, the devil. That's in the New Testament. But I'm saying if you live a life that's unclean, where you just do things that, that are, uh, you know, you don't have victory over your personal life. You've not crucified the works of the flesh that the Bible tells you to crucify in Galatians 5. So that you don't bring shame to the body of Christ, God will keep you small, low exposure. And then when you get to high exposure, there's actually people looking to take you out. That's why when you hear about somebody that has sex in Bible college before they're married, you know, with their girlfriend or whatever, I've never seen somebody like that go and then move into a position of prominence. Because if you're giving into your flesh when there's not even an attack against your life, the devil doesn't even know who you are or care who you are. Well, when you get to high power, And people are trying to set you up to fail with money, with taking God's glory, with women or men or whatever it is. Then you're not going to stand a chance. Every time that temptation shows itself to you, you have to see it that way and it will always be very easy to overcome. That it's a test that God's giving you to see what drawer that you belong in. Whether he can only trust you at low exposure because you'll embarrass yourself and embarrass the kingdom, or if you're somebody like Joseph. Remember, before Joseph became prime minister of Egypt, he had to pass the test 
of Potiphar's wife throwing herself at him and saying, and I quote out of the New, out of the New Living Translation, please have sex with me. And what did he respond? How could I ever do that? You're a married woman. No. He said, how can I ever, could I ever do such a wicked thing against God? So he understood. He had seen a dream when he was young that God was planning on taking him high. And that this thing would shipwreck his destiny. Sin is Satan's attempt to shipwreck your destiny. That's all it is. It's to, it's to soil your robes so that instead of being put in the drawer of gold utensils, somebody that had, I mean, Joseph would have finished, best case scenario, he would have finished head slave or, you know, second husband to his slave master's old wife. That would have been how it ended. Worst case scenario, Potiphar would have found out and killed him. And it would have ended like that. But he never would have reached where God had him to reach. So what, you know, notice what the Bible says, particularly when you're young. Flee youthful lusts. And instead, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Two guys were sitting in an airport. They were flying to different cities. And uh, as they're talking, the one guy said, all right, my flight's leaving. I'm going to Philadelphia. It's been nice talking to you. And he, then he realized he needed to get on his plane. He asked the guy, when, when, where, when does the flight to Los Angeles leave? The guy said, that flight left two hours ago. He missed his flight. Do you know what the moral of that story is? It's dangerous to keep company with people that aren't headed in your direction. You sit at a gate with somebody that's not flying to your city, and you lose track of when your plane's departing, and you're not going with him, it's very easy to miss your flight. And many, many people, what trips them up in life is they keep company with people that aren't headed in their direction. You know you need to pray. That person hates prayer. You know you need to fast. That person believes Jesus already fasted for us when he died on the cross and mocks fasting and prayer. You believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and are believing for a breakthrough. And you surround yourself with people that mock the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about heathens. I'm talking about church people. You believe in financial prosperity. And you hang around people that if they knew you had this book or listened to me, they, they, they would question your salvation. If you hang out with people that aren't headed in the same direction as you, you also are not going to end up in that direction. Remember that. If you hang out with people who are not headed in the same direction as you, you also are not going to end up at that destination. Who you surround yourself with matters. The Bible says, they that walk with the wise will become wise themselves, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Some of the questions we get the most. Send somebody a book like uh, T.L. Osborne's Healing the Sick. Somebody reads it, gets touched by God, sees the Bible opens up and becomes a new book, and all of a sudden I get an Instagram message. Jonathan, what would you say to a friend who doesn't believe in healing. I don't know what I'd say to him. I don't have friends like that. I keep company with people that are of like faith, that are headed. I'm not hanging out at the gate of a plane whose flight I'm not boarding. I'm hanging, <clears throat> I'm hanging out at my gate with people that are headed to the place that I'm heading in God. So I'm not, what do you say to people that don't believe in prosperity? I don't meet those people. I'm not around them. 
I'm at this studio doing, my life has purpose. I'm not hanging out with people that are at various levels in faith. And again, anytime you get into this, people say, yeah, but we're we're supposed to lead people to the Lord. Yes, I'm ministering to people. That's what I'm doing right now. That's what I'm going to do on television and lead more people to the Lord. But Jesus won the lost, but he did not call the lost to be his disciples. He made disciples who came with him to prayer, who he sent out to preach and cast out devils and heal the sick. So there's a difference between knowing people who you reach out to and who you keep in your close circle of friends. And most people never make that distinction. So their destinies are actually shipwrecked by the people that are around them. Look what happened to Joseph when he shared with his brothers what he wanted to do, what he knew, not what he wanted to do, what, what the destiny that God had put on his life. What did his brothers do? His brothers argued over whether to kill him or sell him to human traffickers. Not everyone, listen to me now. Not everyone is going to celebrate your rising. When I say not everyone, I'm being kind. The vast majority of people will be angered at your decision to walk away from sin so that you can ascend into the high things that God has for your life. I mean murderously angry. Family members, friends, other people in the ministry, other people in your same line of work. I mean, I would estimate every day that I do Facebook live, there's probably 10 ministers that log on because they don't like me and just probably log on to hope that the live number is like eight people. You know, people that I've seen log on every day that are ministers for years. They've never given one thing, never contacted the ministry. I'm not talking, I'm talking about ministers. They have never invite me to preach that they're watching, hoping I fail. I remember Bill O'Reilly that used to be on Fox News. He said he estimates half his viewers every night are people that hate him, that just watch him and seethe. That's, that's life. People don't want you to get ahead. They want you to fail. And so if you hang around those people, first of all, let's read this. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, where I already have you open. Second Timothy 2, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Listen to that. Foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. How many of you have had people, by the show of emoji hands, how many of you have had people ask you, once you got turned on to prosperity, once you got turned on to divine healing, once you got turned on to the gifts of the Spirit, how many of you have had people, church people, people that claim to be Christians, want to quote unquote ask you questions about that, and it wasted your time and your energy And at the end, exactly what the Bible says is what happened. They gender strife. When you finished answering all their questions, they didn't say, thank you, that cleared a lot of things up. They were angry at you. They posted some kind of veiled Facebook message about you. You know, some people think they know everything, and I'm very concerned about some people and who they're following 
so-called ministers that I believe are false prophets. How many of you have had that happen? Almost everybody. Do you know the Bible says you're to avoid those conversations? If somebody once taught, you help them. If somebody says, I don't understand why you would even go to services like that. I don't even understand why you would read a book like that. You say, then feel free to not understand. That's not a question. You don't owe explanations to people. And that's one thing you can do. I know it's not New Year's anymore. It's not the first week of January. But one thing you can do in this new year, 2019, to just take the tension and stress out of life is quit feeling, number one, that you owe people an explanation. And number two, quit trying to get everybody to see things the way that you see it. Because you spend time. We, I've used this analogy. When you're mowing the grass and you hit a, a, a log or, or, or a tree stump, you don't keep ramming the mower into the tree stump for four hours. You go around it. There's other grass to mow. You don't say, oh man, how am I ever going get, to get past this? And what the devil will basically do is put like somebody that just wants to argue with you. They, they don't have any interest. The Bible says ever learning, never coming to a knowledge of the truth. And they waste your time. And that time that you spend on that person that ends up in, in, in strife and fighting. It engenders strife, the Bible says. There's a ton of other blades of grass that actually want to know the gospel, that want healed, that want to know what you have to say that you don't deal with. And then it affects you. You know, you can try to pretend like it doesn't. Even the way people, I don't even care what people write about me. You can tell by the way they're saying it that they care. It's bothered them. It's affected their mood. I refuse, and I said this Monday, and I want to say it again. I refuse not only to engage in arguments with, you know, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls. What are pearls? Revelation. Don't cast your pearls before swine. For they'll they'll trample the pearls in the mud. And when they get done with that, they'll turn on you. That's what people do. Exactly what Jesus said. They'll mock the revelation, the precious pearl that you've discovered out of the word of God. They'll trample it in the mud. And then after they get done trampling it in the mud, they'll turn and attack you. It goes from, I don't understand why, why you believe that way. To, and also, I, you know, I also think you're kind of hypocritical and you've changed. And, you know, then, then they'll push it on you. It's a waste of time. So what I started to say is, not only do I refuse to engage with people like that, I refuse to let what anybody says alter my mood. I won't do it. I'm in control of of my life. I refuse to give anybody the power to write something to me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or someone tell me what someone was saying about me and it make me sit like this with Adolis and Camila for 45 minutes. And Adolis has to say, what's wrong, Jonathan? Nothing. No, tell me what's wrong. Do you know who, who um, Jeff Michelson is? Yeah, I think. Do you know what he said about me? And then I'm mad. It makes her upset. I'm not talking to my daughter. I mean, even if I don't bring it up and I'm just sitting like this, but like too angry, it, it's so focusing my mind that I can't talk to anybody else. That's 45 minutes 
that I've lost out with my daughter, that I've lost out with my wife, that I've lost out in typing up something I need to type up, working on a book. You don't, not only do you not engage those people, you understand that they're plants from the enemy to wreck your day, wreck your house. And you know, as well as I do, how easy that imaginary conversation can turn from, do you know what Jeff Michelson said about, do you know who he is? I think I do. Do you know he said this? Can you believe that? And then because Adonis doesn't match my level of outrage, go, what, you, you agree with him? Yeah, you, you don't think that, that what he said is ridiculous. No, I don't think he should have said it. Yeah, you, you just don't think he should have said it? Now I'm, ye- now I'm yelling. Now it has actually broken. I've let some idiot who has a wolf with green eyes as their profile picture alter the mood in my home where now my wife and I are fighting because I let somebody sow that seed of discord and argument. You never let it happen. You read what they have to say or whatever comes across you. Did you hear that, um, like I told you, happened at the beginning of, of the week? The assistant to the dean at a Pentecostal Bible college, you know, posts a big thing on Facebook. Jonathan Shuttlesworth is a false prophet. He takes money from third world countries. I guess uh, Kansas to him is a third world country and Georgia, which obviously there's parts of Kansas and Georgia that he, he has a point. He takes money from third, you know, all lives. Not he feeds a thousand kids in third world countries. He takes money from them. That's why I went to Uganda. I found where all those kids had their food and I took it all. And me and Adolis just ate it real quick. So they had to go hungry and then many of them died. He's a false prophet. I mean, that's quite a heavy charge, false prophet. I'm anti-Jesus Christ. I'm full of the devil and takes money from third world countries. Well, what am I going to do about that? First of all, I never saw it. I don't hang out on Facebook. But people start screenshotting it and sending it to me. Did you see this person said this? Okay, I see it now. It's not important to me. Who is he? Never heard of him. What am I going to do? Adas, did you hear what? No. It never came into my daily conversation. I got dragged into it from text messages. And then, you know, the president of that Bible college texted me in a pot. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not a 14-year-old girl in high school that I heard what somebody at the other lunch table said about me. I'm too big for that. I'm going to be on television in nine and a half minutes. I pay a lot of money for that time. I don't have enough time to start defending myself from critics, barking dogs. Before I uh, go into my message today on Christian Television Network, maybe you heard that a certain Bible college has called me a false prophet, and I want to tell you that I'm not a false What a waste of time. Stay on your track. Do the thing that God's called you to do. The dogs keep barking, but the caravan keeps rolling through. You're too big for that. To get dragged down in discussions with people that have no interest in ever coming to a knowledge of the truth. Don't, let me tell you something. Don't ever forget that I tell you this. You don't learn about prosperity so that you can argue with people who don't believe in prosperity. You learn about prosperity so you can get a revelation from God's word to break into the level of finances that God wants you to be in to be a blessing to a hurting world. Jesus didn't waste time with the Pharisees and Sadducees. He would rebuke them and keep doing his thing. He never said, you're not going to read anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll read that they came to him. 
But you're not going to read that he came to them. And Jesus came to Nicodemus at night. That's not in the Bible. And said, hey, Nicodemus, I know, um, I know you're a Pharisee and, and you're in with the religious crowd. And I know they hate me and think I'm possessed of, of the father of devils. Um, you know, I think we would actually realize that we have a lot more in common than we do not in common if we could just sit down and have a dialogue. No. Jesus did not, listen to me, Jesus did not spend his time arguing with people who, did, who were intent on not agreeing with him, intent on vilifying him. You don't explain yourself to people who have made up their mind that they're going to misunderstand you. No, 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 that's not what I meant. I would, just leave them. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did not focus on those people. He focused on the lost, hurting people. What am I going to argue about Baptist doctrine, Calvinism versus Arminianism? When there's people out there, the whole world, they don't know what Calvinism or Arminianism is. They're just lost. They need to go to heaven. That's what Festival of Life is. That's, that's just a bypass of the religious structure. You guys can all debate and try to get invited to each other's conferences and we'll go out into the city where people have never heard the gospel, don't know what Baptist is, don't know what Methodist is, and preach the gospel and instead of attacking people, attack the devil. That's what you do. Instead of attacking each other, attack the power of sin that binds people's life. Understanding prosperity. Gives you power to break poverty off of people's lives, including your own. Understanding divine healing is not so you can argue with people that don't believe healings for today. You are wrong to do that. You're in sin to do that. The Bible says avoid those conversations. They engender strife. But the servants of the Lord should strive for peace with all men. People are free to believe what they want. It's not going to affect me any. You want to hear something? This is why. You, you, you actually feel sorry. And I don't mean like some kind of sarcastic, I feel sorry for you. I'm talking, you know, the guy, the, the assistant to the um, dean at that Pentecostal Bible school that called me a false prophet because I believe that healing's for everyone and that you can have dominion over sickness and disease, and he didn't, and was arguing vehemently that we all get sick There's no way to avoid sickness because God's sovereign. Did you know when they called him from the school to discipline him, he wasn't at his office? Do you know where he was? Homesick. You get what you believe. I feel bad for people that don't believe in healing. They will not have anything in their shield of faith to destroy those attacks against their body. And the way they speak, it'll actually attract it to them. They're in for a rough life. I'm not, I'm telling you, that's how it'll go. And I know what happens when you believe in healing. You can't talk me out of it. God has blessed me. As I believed his word, he kept his end of the deal. I'm supernaturally healthy. Adalis is supernaturally healthy. Camila is supernaturally healthy. We enjoy divine health. That's why I believe this. Not so I can turn and argue with other Christians. So that I can find, like happened in Festival of Life Newark. So that a lady that's in a wheelchair can come and hear about Jesus 
And because there's a faith in my spirit in how I'm preaching the word of God. I'm not saying how many of you are in, in a wheelchair tonight and you don't know why you're there and it's not fair, but God understands and one day you'll have be able to walk on streets. of No, you start preaching that he's alive, that he took that crippledness on his body on the cross and paid the price so you can have life and the lady gets out of her chair. That's why you learn these things. Not so you can win arguments, so you can bless people. And I see you being a blessing wherever you go. In Jesus' name. I didn't get into taking up your cross. It's not enough to not just let those people depress you. If you let them bog you down, they will inoculize you and make you an ineffective Christian that just argues Posts up inflammatory stuff on Facebook to get a big comment thread going so you can respond to everyone. Hello, Michelle. Thank you for taking the time to to comment back. Though I respect you as a person, I vehemently disagree. And then you can tell your your six little friends. You see what I wrote to Michelle? Uh, Yeah, I started off saying, you know, I was respectful. But then I told her, you know, basically what you're saying is asinine. You don't know what you're talking about. I mean, what a small life to argue on Facebook. With 27 people. Waste of life. If you want to get in that gold drawer. Now we talked yesterday about keeping yourself pure. Lord willing, we'll talk tomorrow about keeping yourself pure. But equally in that scripture, maybe that's why God had me spend time on it. He doesn't want to brush by it. (coughs) That equally with keeping yourself pure, the servants of the Lord cannot be argumentative. Looking, Looking to attack. They, they have peace with people, and they go to reach the lost and the hurting. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't have a blog attacking top Pharisees. He was blessing people. Take your Bible, turn to Malachi chapter 3 before we get into the television portion. Hope you enjoyed today. And I only bring up that, that guy just to let you know, I'm not talking about something I haven't experienced. So if you feel like you get attacked online, go on YouTube when you're, when you're done watching me and type in Jonathan Shuttlesworth, raw story, R-A-W space S-T-O-R-Y. Or go on Google and put in Jonathan Shuttlesworth, Asbury Park. What do you do? Curl up in the fetal position? Malachi 3.1. Look, I'm sending my messenger... And he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he'll be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the priests refining them like gold and silver, so that they once again may offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more, the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. When you live holy, God accepts your offering. I want to thank you ahead of time for what you sow today. Hashtag donate on Facebook, revivaltoday.com. 
slash give or click give now. See you on TV.